I want my children to have a livable future, and I sort of obsess over leverage points and where am I going to have the most effect with the individual skills and interests that I have. Come on out and say it's fallen and make different decisions, even if your life seems more uncomfortable or more unconventional. At least you can be true to your own soul and your own calling. I see the black vulture picking at the carcass in the road. This is a podcast entitled What We Will Abide. A few weeks ago, I sat down with Allison Earl and John Darby. Allison is the executive director and John Darby the education director at the Horn Farm Center for Agricultural Education in Hallam, Pennsylvania. John is a good friend of mine, and I met him five years ago at the Marietta Farmer's Market at his farm stand. It was there that I saw he had a small library of books, um, one of which, or three of which actually, were the trilogy written by Daniel Quinn, the Ishmael trilogy, Ishmael, the story of B, and my Ishmael. And I got to talking to him about agriculture because, of course, as this podcast has already demonstrated, um, Quinn has a lot to say about agriculture. One of the main things being that agriculture became the dominant culture, in really the world and changed the way human beings lived, essentially. And that happened eight or nine thousand years ago. And I said to John, or I asked him, how can you be a farmer when farming has really caused, if we're being honest, uh, so much damage? Uh, it was a naive question, I realized at the time, because uh, John's answer um, led him, in fact, to working at the Horn Farm Center and doing what he's doing now, uh, which is that there are different ways to farm. Uh, farming doesn't have to be totalitarian, as Quinn would put it. It doesn't have to dominate the land. It does, certainly doesn't have to dominate people. Um, it's just the way it's been done for a very long time, and so people have forgotten that it was done other ways. Um, and in uh, through the practice of permaculture, and through the practice of farming in ways that are in harmony with the land, John has created for himself a fulfilling way of life, um, or at least one that approaches fulfillment. In my conversation with John and Allison, we talk about this issue among many others. We are at the Horn Farm Center for Agricultural Education. My name is Allison Earl, and I'm the executive director here. Um, and why we're here is because uh, we can see the collapse of the dominant system, and we believe that we can bring into creation an alternate system. My name is John Darby, and I'm the education director here at the Horn Farm. And, uh, yeah, what she said. <laughs> so... So okay, so the dominant. What is the dominant culture doing? Um, in you know, like twenty-five words or less. Um, and what's the, you you described earlier to me about like a an alternative culture that is sort of beneath it, undermining it. So what's the dominant culture doing, and what are you trying to do? Well, 
that's a lot of questions, and I'll address them one by one. And the first thing is that we're not trying to undermine the dominant culture. Um, I think that that paradigm of us versus them is part of the dominant culture. And so we are working uh, with, um, we're working in the field of agriculture and producing food for ourselves and the people who live around us. And here at the Horn Farm, we have 186 acres, um, 12 of which is in a beginning farmer training program, um, about 90 of which is farmed by a local farm family who uses uh, best practice best management practices that are taught by the universities, which include no-till farming, um, use of crop rotations and cover crops, um, also um, the use of GMO uh, seeds and uh, industrial methods of cultivation and <laughs> um, and um, synthetic chemicals and... The avoidance uh, of all those things. No, they're using those they're things. Using okay. They're using those things here on the Horn Farm. We are committed to producing food without using those things. Instead of demonizing what they're doing, we're working in partnership with them to transfer transition um, how they're producing food. So this year, for example, they are... Um, farming 18 acres in organic hay production. Um, this is the first year and the first time they've used organic methods. How did you convince them? Um, by recognizing their humanity um, and that they're trying to do the best they can, that they've made decisions based on economic realities, um, and that that doesn't make them bad people. So Everybody knows that organic food costs more to produce and therefore it's got to cost more in the supermarket, right? Right. I mean, the or, the word organic is also a big mess too. Like, there's a million different ways to grow "quote unquote" organic food, and some of those ways are going to be more cost effective than others. Some of those are going to be more labor intensive. Some of those are going to be more input intensive, and some are not. So, it's not like there are two ways of growing food: conventional and organic. There's a whole bevy of ways of doing things. So you personally grew food for several years, and how did you, did you find a balance between the two? Where did you strike that sort of, for you, what was the best, the best practice? Well, I, first of all, I never really thought of myself as an organic farmer. I always thought of myself as an ecological farmer, and I focused more on how... Everything grown on my farm is interrelating to the other systems, whether it's within the farm itself or outside the farm. From a market standpoint, from a physical landscape standpoint, from who the employees were that were coming to help me produce it. And so, you know, a lot of this comes from my time studying permaculture and thinking about it through the lens of design and not thinking about it from organic certification and how to jump through certain hoops for certain parties. So you already started to define it, but can you give us a sort of short, sweet definition of permaculture? Permaculture is um, what well, can be defined a lot of different ways. Um, I always define it as it's a design system that sort of uses the patterns and principles of ecology to act as a model and as a teacher for how we create systems. So 
whether that's growing food or setting up your household or your community, it's basically we're all ecological beings and none of us are exempt from ecological law. And so we have to follow the same patterns that have been demonstrated as working in the natural world of which we are a part. Can you give us an example of a way that you've implemented that in it doesn't have to be farming. It can be, as you said, it can be any system. So something that you've come across that you've implemented that works that way? Well, since since we're here at the Horn Farm and we're talking about farming, um, just from a farming standpoint itself, like I don't use pesticides. I put time and energy into growing things that bring in beneficial insects. I pay attention to the hedgerows, which support things like foxes, which eat my rabbits, which support hawks that eat voles and mice. Um, and trying to trying to treat the farm as an ecological organism, which it is, and using that as sort of the premise of what I do. What's a what's a beneficial insect? I mean, what, I mean, you know, people like me think of insects as pests. You know, keep them out of your house, stomp on them. Um, you know, you describe them as beneficial and wanting to keep them around. Um, what makes them beneficial? What are an example? What, what are some examples of what makes them beneficial? What makes them beneficial? Um, there are four ways that insects can be beneficial on the farm. The four Ps. Uh, they're pollinators, predators, parasitoids, and processors. So they're either eating the bugs we don't want, or they're pollinating the plants that we need to grow food. They are um, creating soil by eating dead plant matter and organic matter and incorporating that into the soil. Okay, so how did why are you here doing this now? Why am I here doing yeah. this? Uh, you want the big answer or the little answer? On both. So the big answer is I want my children to have a livable future. Uh, and I sort of obsess over leverage points and where am I going to have the most effect with the individual skills and interests that I have. And this is sort of why I came to be here. Um, I guess the little answer is that the food system is broken and it's something that's really apparent here in York County uh, not only there but you know outside the county and it just seems like there's a lot of work to be done here for that What are some of the things that get done here that help heal the broken food system? Um, well one thing we're running out of farmers um, the average age of a farmer in this country is between 55 and 65 years old, depending on how you count, what census you use. And um, the you few... People don't want to farm anymore? That's shocking to me. Well, there are lots of reasons people don't want to farm anymore. It doesn't make a lot of money. It's a lot of hard work. It has high input costs. There are difficulties accessing land. Um, so one of the things that we have here at the Horn Farm is a beginning farmer training program that tries to reduce those barriers to entry for people who do want to farm. So we give them access to prime farmland, we give them access to equipment and resources, training, support, marketing, um, business training, um, in the hopes that we will <clears throat> um, turn out some farmers who can help feed us locally um, or somewhere else, but know how to grow food. So another thing that, um, another difficulty that our farmers face, and not only here at the Horn Farm in a beginning farmer training program, but also local small farmers have difficult time getting their products to a market that's used to aggregated 
wholesale, cheap, um, always accessible foodstuffs. So um, we have quite a number of restaurants in the area that market themselves as local um, and there are very few who are really dedicated to making sure that their produce does come from local farmers. So one of the things we're doing at the Horn Farm is trying to make it easier for local restaurants and grocers to get their um, products from local farmers. And we just launched an online um, farm store on our website and we're piloting the project with uh, seven local wholesale accounts that we've already developed relationships with, local restaurants and grocers. And also um, the three farms on the Horn Farm property plus um, two other farmers that are in um, close proximity to the Horn Farm. Um, and so we're trying to take the system as it is where people need to have efficient ways of getting produce and making it easier without it becoming a um, a choice of an idealistic choice to make it an economically viable choice. I mean, people make that choice. They they make the choice every day to do what they think is economically viable by going to a supermarket, right? I mean, I make mm -hmm. that choice. Everybody makes that choice. Um, that's I mean, I, I that's the most efficient, the most effective, the quickest, and people think the cheapest way to get produce. Um, I, again, without trying to sound too judgmental, what's wrong with that? Okay, so yesterday I was at Giant, the local grocery store chain, and I was watching, I was watching, I always watch what people put in their carts, but I was watching someone hold this package of chicken. We'll call it Bell and Evans. And um, a lot of people will look at chicken, especially skinless, boneless chicken and think it's the most healthy thing they can eat. It's low fat, it's got high protein, all these things. And um, what it took me years to figure out is what happens to that chicken before that chicken gets in its piece of styrofoam with a little diaper under it to absorb the fluids with its plastic wrapped over it. And um, <clears throat> so there's a, there's a lot of disconnect between what how that chicken got to the store in its supposedly healthy state um, and also um, that we don't include our uh, physical health um, or even our emotional or spiritual health when we're making selections in a grocery store about our food choices. So if that chicken grew up in a, in a cage where it was never allowed to even move um, and then just processed and often those higher cuts of chicken, you probably don't want to know this, but this is how it starts are the ones that came from diseased birds, so they would slice pieces off. So the less you see of a bird, the more likely it is to have some disease as part of its body. And I believe that what we eat makes up who we are, so that if we're eating animals that were not treated humanely um, and with respect for what they give us in terms of life, that they are, that that becomes part of who we are and how we operate in the world as well. Um, so there's a big component of seeing for real what and how that food gets to where it is efficient and making choices and, and a, a willingness to acknowledge that that's, that's, we created that because we valued efficiency and low cost and profit over anything else um, in order to get 
to that point. And so this is this is what is this dominant system that we have that we believe is not it's not what we want. It's not going to last forever. It's based on an idea that resources go on and on and on. <clears throat> and um, we've depleted a lot of our resources. We've depleted the land. We have what some people look at as 186 acres of beautiful, flourishing farmland. And I look at it and I see where the land has been repeatedly raped and extracted from. And I see plants people call derisive names and like weeds weeds and invasives and um, they are the plants that are doing the best work at regenerating the damaged land that that we've inherited John what are some of your favorite weeds oh man that's a tough one um I love mullen say uh, I've never heard you talk about mullen before mullen is a tall biennial that grows uh, everywhere on the roadside you can't miss it once you see it and know it um it's got big fuzzy leaves and uh, makes a nice tea, uh, among other things. Um, it also grows through anything. It grows through asphalt. It grows through concrete. It doesn't need much. It's a tough little guy. So it's yeah. So it's annoying. To your local municipalities would like to keep their streets nice and flat. Yeah, they don't like tall weeds, and it gets it could, it'll get about five six feet tall. Um, I like. Uh, Stinging nettles is another favorite that people don't like, and it's one of the healthiest foods in North America. It's got all kinds of good stuff in it. You can dry it or cook it to get rid of that sting, which is actually also therapeutic in itself. And I've more than once seen you rub your arms in that. Oh, I, yeah. I actually do it on purpose. It's good for you. <laughs> you told me a story recently about how you were basically crippled by back pain. Yeah, I had I had a I have historically have a bad back, and so I every once or twice a year maybe I will have a bad flare up. And uh, the most recent one was maybe a year ago. I had horrible back pain down the side of my leg. I was having trouble walking. I was using a cane. Um, it was the end of the season, and sort of the fall flush of nettles was up. And after hobbling around for a week, I was just like, "Oh, sh- I need to get some nettles." <laughs> and uh, can I say shit on your show? I laid down on the floor face down. I had trouble getting down because I was in such pain. I had my wife put a glove on and scrub my lower back with nettles for like 10 minutes. Hurt like hell. Um, and when she was done, I stood straight up as if nothing was wrong. And it was totally fine. Because the, uh, the sting is anti-inflammatory despite the fact that it, it stings. If, if you had sort of, you know, a way in which you could actually fix the broken food system what then would the food system look like for everyone so they they were making better choices not because just because that was what was available didn't have to because it seems like I'll explain where my question is coming from it seems like there's a great deal of education that needs to go into you said I asked you how do you convince these farmers not to use GMO seeds and whatever and you're like by appealing to their humanity right and those are people that you have on this land right now that you can speak to you can appeal to their humanity by showing them yours, essentially. But there's millions and millions of people out there whom you'll never get to. So appealing to their humanity is off the, it's off the table. Um, so in a fantasy world, how would they have those choices to make? What would the unbroken food system look like? I guess I'm not trying to change anybody's mind. I think that circumstances in people's lives make them go seeking things. I think more and more people will get more and more sick, and they'll find that the current system of 
healthcare is not serving them and that there's a resurgence in interest in traditional plant medicines. So I think that there will be momentum. I think people will people will come looking for us. So I don't I don't worry about that so much. Um, especially because I can't control it. Um, what I I do envision, and I don't even call it fantasy, um, is that this piece of land will become a model of regenerative agriculture in one way, shape, or form. And at this time, we're experimenting with what that looks like, what that might look like for this particular place, um, because some things are transferable, location is not, and so there's a particular personality to this property we call the Horn Farm. And it's a beautiful opportunity to take what has been conventionally farmed for years and years and years, and and then even before um, the current farmer was on this property, there was even a lot more erosion and a lot more damage that was done. Um, so how do we take a piece of land and help it restore itself to health while participating with that land and, and getting food from that land? Because um, I think that there's a mutual beneficiary relationship that we can develop with, with the farm. So that's where we're going, and people are going to come here to see how to do it in their places. Are they coming? Yeah. Who's coming? We've had several people approach us with properties in York County, 300-acre properties where they want something similar to happen. We've had people from other parts of the state come and tour because they want to create an educational farm with classes and workshops and demonstrations similar to the sort of things that we provide currently for people. Um, we also really emphasize meeting people where they are. So a lot of our classes and workshops, events are just fun. Um, for example, we have an annual cycle, the solstice, which raises money for the Horn Farm. It gets people out to the Horn Farm to see where we are. Um, and that event, um, the bicycle routes go around York County on different lengths to other farm locations, um, farm businesses. So people get to see the beauty of the land here in York, um, as well as coming to the Horn Farm and having a good time. A lot of people just feel sort of lost and they're finding their way back to reconnecting to things and for some of those people this is part of it well you teach some foraging for wild edibles classes and stuff like that mm -hmm. I mean, is that part of that for me it is like i think i mean my whole take on the culture as a whole is that it sort of exists on a foundation of isolation and disconnection and if we can't break that and heal that then that's that's as far as it's going to go i think for me, foraging is about reconnecting to the land, um, reconnecting to ourselves because, you know, a lot of things that we go out and forage, it's really slow work and meditative and you have to be careful with what you're doing and it takes us out of the nine to five and forces us to take a deep breath and take an hour to pick two quarts of berries sometimes. Um, so I think it's real, I think it's the work of reconnection more than just finding free food to a large degree. You and I have talked about the idea that oh, many, many times in many different venues, many different ways, the idea that, like, you hinted at this and Allison hinted at this too, um, that if we're honest with ourselves, the system that you just described as being based on disconnection is is bound to fall apart. Um, sure. Any idea, like, 
number one, what that looks like or how, or, or how that starts, and then what happens as a result. And of the system falling apart? Yeah, and then like how a place like this, I mean, what, what then becomes a role of a place like this in a, in a world with, without the trappings of civilization, without the chicken packaged in plastic and diapers? Never buying chicken again. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want my chickens in diapers. Um, I, what, is it, what does it look like? You have always dodged this question with me. You're like, oh, I don't know. I have no idea. Five years, 100 years. But now I'm asking you on recorded tape how it's going to end so that when it does, <laughs> you can have been right. And they'll like elect you post civilization. Oh, I, <laughs> don't, I don't threaten I, him with that. I severely hope to never be elected for anything. Well, force, um, force you then. Well, what I think it, what I think it looks like. When will it start? I think was one of your questions. I think it started a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's. I, um, yeah. I think uh, it looks like a lot of what we're seeing. It looks like what are we seeing? Well, it looks like people trying to reconnect with things by bumbling around the city with their Pokemon Go devices. I think uh, um, I think it looks like the nuclear family behind their fence like staring at a TV for four hours a night. I think it looks like a food system that makes us sick and uh, a medical system that promotes that. <laughs> well, because it makes itself more money. Right. I think one of the one of the attractions of having this this line between it hasn't fallen and it has fallen is that's the point at which we make decisions that operate differently and so it's 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 a cheat i mean come on out and say it's fallen and make different decisions even if your life seems more uncomfortable or more unconventional at least you can be true to your own soul and your own calling um i, I don't have much patience for people who pretend um Suffer no fools. I was once accused of, and I took it hard at the time, and then I got pretty proud of that because I really haven't got time for that um, suffering of fools. So um, people are on their own journey, but I don't think that, I think that there's a, that's the, you just decide that, look, this is not working. I don't want to participate in it. I don't want my time, energy, or attention to go toward it. Um, I'm not even going to be careful to be nice to it anymore. Um, I'm going to do something else. And this is my something else. Yeah, um, I admire that in that um, I find this is personal, so forgive me. So is that. Well, no, I, but it's a podcast is about you, not me. But maybe it's about all of us, I suppose, so it's okay. Um, but it's the same for me, you know. Like, I have also been accused of not suffering fools, and it's gotten me in hot water. Um, as you know, uh, but I, but I, uh, I think ultimately it was for the best in that it kind of like pushed me out into this kind of, you sort of have found the thing that you're doing now and it speaks to you. It, it, it resonates. I'm, I feel like, I guess part of this is that I'm just sort of doggy paddling my way through that right now. And, um, I have had some, some dark sort of sinky moments where I'm like, this is all existential and existential and that's just every Tuesday. Yeah, right? or, or, yeah. <laughs> well, yes, or and Thursday and mm -hmm. Saturday. But it's like a lot of like sinking down to the murk and like feeling all these things that don't feel right and um, wondering if I'll ever resurface again. And it's it's it, it's kind of like 
I think, I'd like to think that it's sort of on its way to what you're describing where you are right now. Always happy. Always joyful. Yeah, the, you're the happiest <laughs> person I know, the most fulfilled, <laughs> satisfied, <laughs> smiley, uh-huh. upbeat person uh, I have met in some time. It's a day-to-day struggle to see the world and my place in it and to find that I've been calling it lately this week my term for it is a golden thread I don't know why I'm following it but this is the thing I want to follow right now and I will not put myself in the role of victim somebody called me out on it in the summer of 2012 someone said when are you going to be the author of your own life and it hit me in the stomach like I've never been hit didn't you sort of yell that at me once? I think I did. My job as a human being is to make sure that everything I do is true to my heart and my soul. And that means that my job as executive director better match the big picture too. Mm. Every, every, how's how's it go? The way you do anything is the way you do everything. Who said that? Me. It may be Han Solo. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know where it originally I, came I from. Can, I can affirm that Han Solo never says <laughs> I'm not a farmer, and I don't plan on becoming a farmer anytime soon. But I can make more healthful choices about the food that I consume in order to sustain myself. I, I have to eat but I can be smarter and more informed about what it is that I consume. What John and Allison are doing at the Horn Farm Center is slowly but surely providing alternatives to people regarding what they eat. And um, it is actually quite an uphill battle because the food industry has so much to lose. It is very easy to eat whatever's out there because it's cheap and it's plentiful. And that's by design. Uh, The food industry has always been all about profit and less about healthy choices. For example, we learned from Michael Pollan that corn is surprisingly and frighteningly in absolutely, almost absolutely everything that we eat from the shiny glaze on fruit in the supermarket to make it more attractive to consumers, to corn being fed to bioengineered cows. Uh, This is something that we see absolutely everywhere. Corn is subsidized by the government, especially uh, genetically modified corn. Very, very cheap, and it's become the only way for many industrial farmers to make a living. And so, therefore, it's ubiquitous. And again, the food industry has an incentive to keep that kind of information out of our hands. In the end, of course, it becomes individual choice that holds the day. I can make, and I'm trying to make, smarter choices, more informed choices for myself and my family about what I eat, so that later on, I'm not, I don't get sick, as John mentioned in the podcast, and my health costs don't skyrocket. 
Of course, I am reminded in this moment of my very tolerant primary care physician, who listens to me bang on about these kinds of issues and how I don't really trust the health industry. This, of course, I'm saying directly to a doctor. But she's very kind, and she listens, and she doesn't throw me out of her office. Are the foods that I'm eating helping to combat the many diseases of civilization that crop up because of likely all of the unhealthy foods and things that I've consumed and ingested over the last 30, 35, 40 years of my life? I don't know. Will eating more healthfully save me from those illnesses and sicknesses in the future? Again, I don't know. But I can make a conscious, informed choice about what I eat and what I put into my body moving forward. Which reminds me of something that Allison said during the podcast, which I firmly agree with, which is, you are what you eat. And what you put into your body, if it has endured a great deal of stress and suffering, that in turn becomes a part of you. Thank you for listening. More to come. Original music is by Morning Stillness. The song is called Black Vulture. I am the black vulture. Feel this form find my place at last. I rise with thermals on.